0: This is Gene Shepard, and uh, as you probably are aware, we have a very, uh, very highly altered broadcasting schedule today. Can you tell I've got a cold tonight? It sounds pretty bad, huh? You know, funny, I I feel much better than I have felt in a week, and uh, as, as I increasingly feel good, I sound more and more like I'm talking out of the side of a piece of balsa <laughs> with ears. Uh, well, anyway, uh, I, I'll be here... Uh, with a with a very uncertain schedule tonight because uh, we are going to go back out possibly at any moment out to the airport where Lester Smith I believe will be on hand to describe the uh, takeoff the leaving uh, the aircraft leaving to go back to Rome with the Pope you know incidentally uh, the, uh, all the, all the talk I heard today on the air and I watched uh, the television broadcasts about this thing and uh, rightly. Uh, The reporters, of course, concentrated on the visiting personages and the U.N. and one thing and another. And I heard very little talk, though, about the peculiar atmosphere that was in New York today. Very strange, uh, unusual atmosphere. And uh, for those of you who are not in New York, uh, I'm aware of the fact, of course, and perhaps maybe we should remind the New York listeners occasionally that WOR is heard at this time of the night Regularly by people who listen every night in approximately 20 states or so. And so there will be people listening up in Maine and people down in North Carolina and so on who were not here in New York and did not really have the opportunity to feel the strange atmosphere that was extant in the city today. I've been, I've lived in the city now, uh, oh, since the mid 50s, every day soaking up its atmosphere, and I have known some strange days in New York, and I'm, uh, this was a unique day. Uh, there was a strange atmosphere in the air. To begin with, the weather was magnificent. Uh, the weather uh, it was a kind of a crisp, cool, bright day, and the visibility was probably as good as it's been in New York City for probably, I'd say possibly, the last five years. It was as though the day was made out of crystal, and uh, everywhere everybody was, uh, standing along the street corners, wherever there was any kind of uh, any kind of uh, official gathering, it was as though the color was five times brighter and more brilliant than it would be ordinarily in the usual murky, soot-filled New York atmosphere. So for some reason or other, today was, uh, as I say, it was like a, uh, the air was made of crystal. Now, I personally began to notice the peculiar atmosphere early this morning when uh, the first thing that was obvious was that tra- the traffic was highly unusual, it was either non-existent or it was a solid jam. There was no there was no in between. Uh, for example, some streets, cross-town streets, for example, Fifty Seventh Street, there was nothing on it. There were no cars. Uh, they they had kept all the cars off certain areas of Fifty Seventh Street, and people were walking back and forth, and. Uh, we're standing near the corners all the time uh, i suppose waiting for glimpses of various official type cars not the popes of course because this was uh this was a highly uh a publicized route but there were other cars running around the city constantly that were not part of that official group but nevertheless Contained highly official people. For example, without any warning, uh, I found myself standing uh, next to an automobile that pulled up to a stoplight and it stopped right in front of me. And just uh, I, I was trying to get across the street, and it was a big, long, black limousine. And I see in the limousine is Nelson Rockefeller. And uh, of course, Rockefeller is seen occasionally in New York, but there was, there was this kind of a strange uh, confrontation. There's Rockefeller and I walked past the car, and I noticed two or three people on the sidewalk noticed that it was Rockefeller's car. And then uh, that disappeared, and a couple of seconds later, another car came around the corner, obviously not connected with Rockefeller, and uh, this car had the Bobby Kennedy in it, and they were going in another direction. These were two political rivals, but nevertheless, uh, it was as though almost any place you look today, you're liable to see almost anything. Well, I I didn't think in terms of seeing the Pope. You know, it's a curious thing about when some big event happens of this sort. Uh, I have the kind of mind that generally says, well, I'd never get near it anyway. And and, uh, I always see on television 47 million people at Yankee Stadium, and I wonder how they got in, and that's the end of it. And uh, I never get tickets to first nights or anything like that. That's something that the official people are involved in. And so I didn't think anything about it, and I got on a bus. And I went down 2nd Avenue. I got off at 50th Street, off off this 2nd Avenue bus, and there were people sitting in the bus with books and with uh, with shopping bags and one thing. And, the other. and they're all talking. They're constantly looking out of the windows. And everyone, there was a sense of excitement, a peculiar sense of, uh, well, not really, not the kind of excitement of a visiting celebrity, but a strange sort of excitement. I can't really describe it except to say that it was a vaguely festive occasion uh, now when celebrities show up an ordinary big celebrity now I've been in the crowd when Khrushchev went by when Khrushchev was at the peak of his career and uh, he visited the United States and went along 34th 34th uh, streets where I happen to see him coming over from Penn Station the crowd was more curious in that case there was a kind of a great gathering of people, but they were curious. Was, uh, there was, there wasn't. Is that him? Wow! You know, geez, uh, fatter than I thought, and that kind of thing. That's all they they said. But there wasn't really anything other than a sense of everybody looking at a visiting celeb. Whereas today there was a very different quality. the 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 strange thing that I did notice about it that should bear reporting. Uh, I got off the bus on 50th Street at Second Avenue, and I was going to transfer uh the reason i was on a bus there were no cabs nothing around and i took the bus down and and uh, i got out of out of the bus and i saw immediately there was a barricade up right in front of me there there was a big barricade a lot of people behind it and there must have been on that corner alone there must have been two or 300 policemen well i stepped out of the bus and immediately i said well uh, i'm not going to worry about my appointment i'm going to i'm obviously something's about to happen here and I'm going to I'm going to be in in it. I want to see it. So I went behind the barricade and I stood next to a mailbox that was right on the edge of the barricade. And there were some kids ahead of me and women all around me, and large numbers of people all on, up and down the streets on all sides. And uh, I asked somebody next to me. I said, uh, When when is the uh, caravan expected? And he said, Well, in just about five minutes, they're coming over from Madison Avenue. and They're going to make this turn here. And then I began to look around. I wonder if anyone has reported that the crowds consisted, uh, at least where I was, there were great numbers of Jewish people uh, gathered to to see the Pope. And in fact, the people I was talking to all around me, I, I expected to see a lot of Irish, you know. But no, they were there were mostly uh, people that I know from all around, all up and down Second Avenue and that. And and uh, they were fascinated, and uh, they really they really were fascinated by the whole thing. And and uh, particularly by what was going on just before. I don't know whether anybody has reported the, the, uh, the superb, uh, as probably as thorough a job of uh, police protection as I've ever seen in my life. And I've been around a few incidents where big people appeared. Uh, for example, uh, I noticed that on 2nd Avenue in the 50s, there were police up on the fire escapes. They had gone up near the roof, and they kept all the people off the roof. Many people had gathered on the roofs of the buildings, and they, they pushed them all back off the roof uh, because uh, I understand that, that the heights of that kind are usually the most dangerous places for untoward incidents. And so there were police, and I watched one policeman in, in particular who was on the east side of 2nd uh, Avenue, and he stood, oh, he was about six stories up on, on a fire escape, and he didn't even look down when the when the entourage went past. He did not, which would be the normal, natural thing to do, would be to look down when all the when all the visiting celebrities went past. He was watching an apartment building, and he did not move for I would say a good half hour, because I happened to have been there at least, uh, uh, or oh, probably twenty-five minutes to a half hour before the event took place, and. And I stayed around for a few minutes afterwards and he stood and watched that one building just steadily. He didn't even, didn't even look down or around or so. He just stood and watched it. Obviously he was watching a whole bank of windows and this was his responsibility. And uh, I'll tell you, it was very impressive. And then I noticed all up and down the side streets, I could see these policemen peering over the parapets of buildings and they had walkie talkies where they would, uh, they would have an intercom system where they could communicate one with the other. Now, the way I'm describing it, I suppose it sounds like there was a peculiar solemnity to it, but there wasn't. Even the police had a quality of uh, a festivity about it. Uh, one, of the, one of the news writers here uh, a minute ago in uh, the newsroom I was talking to him, he says, you know, this is, a, this is a, a tremendous catharsis for the nation. He said, it has nothing to do with the kind of religion or whatever it is you follow, but it's a peculiar kind of catharsis, and I felt it in the air. And everybody was, uh, uh, everyone had a, a certain quality of uh, bonhomie, a certain kind of uh, f- uh, fellowship, which they don't ordinarily have in New York. Well, then suddenly around the corner came these, these uh, motorcycle policemen. They made a big turn. And that's the thing I don't think you got on television, was how fast this car moved on 2nd Avenue and up and down these streets. Because, you know, the TV cameras were in front of the car and moved with it. So you didn't get an idea of how quickly these automobiles moved through the streets. I, I really I was surprised. You know I expected a kind of ceremonial drive, but no, they came around that corner and the the uh, I, I'm afraid a lot of the people were caught <laughs> looking up up in the air or looking down at their feet or something, and the Pope went by and they missed their chance for life. But uh, the uh, the motorcycle cops came around the corner. There must have oh you saw you saw it on television. There must have dozens of them secret service cars of one kind or another, big Lincolns, open Lincoln Continentals, and then suddenly there it was. And it, uh, it was so uh, so peculiar because it was so uh, unexpectedly ordinary. Uh, the Pope and everything around him was it was so unexpectedly accessible. And there they were. There was just this uh, big car and the Pope and I believe it was Cardinal Spellman sitting with him. And uh, and they were looking out of the window and everybody was waving. Immediately they all started to cheer. I could hear people cheering up in the buildings and the, the kids next to me and the, the man next to me was cheering and waving. And the Pope was waving at him when he went by. And the people uh, looked there for a moment and it was gone. And that was, that was it. But the car continued uh, down 2nd Avenue. It was going towards the U.N. And uh, for that... For that few brief instance, it was as though everybody was kind of looking at something that was so unreal to them, they couldn't quite uh, put it into focus. Uh, <laughs> it isn't often, you know, that we in America see genuine figureheads. I'm talking about a genuine figurehead where where the office of the man far transcends the individual himself. and uh, And he himself merely represents something... That is uh, far, uh, far different from the the human corporeal body that he represents himself. You see, and so uh, uh, the people that know quite how to, how to handle it. Do you cheer when a pope goes by? Uh, do you applaud? Uh, what do you do? Do you just stand there with your mouths hanging open? Uh, do you uh, do you do you shout out through your nose? Can I have an autograph? Uh, what do you do well, what most people did was just sort of stand and and look with with a great uh, with a great uh, uh, sort of disbelieving look and again, it had nothing to do with religion i hope uh, hope you understand that what i 'm talking about is a is a national event that uh, occurred here in New York City today that has uh, all kinds of interesting to me sociological psychological, and human uh, Uh, overtones. Uh, Speaking of overtones, this is W-O-R-A-M at FM New York. This is Gene Shepard, and we'll be here until uh, we pick up Wes Smith out at the airport. And while we're doing that, I have a few commercials. Hit the button in there. We're out here at Yankee Stadium with the 2,500-year-old brewmaster, and it's halftime at a very exciting game. Sir, how did football come about? Well, actually, football started about 11 1,200 years ago. And what uh, is there in a football game? It's 11 men on a side, right? That's right. Right. It? Well, 11 1,200 years ago, there was, oh, maybe 200, 300,000 men on a side. The game wasn't exactly called football at that time. It was called war. So originally, uh, what we know as football was uh, a real battle. Oh, yes football is actually bore scaled down to a puny effort for money well that's fascinating and uh, i could use a little refreshment couldn't you well why don't we have a nice cold valentine beer there's more spirit to it right and you pay if you want to start living a life that's livelier live it with spirit valentine beer there's more spirit to it of all the Valentine commercials that they have to schedule, they schedule that one. Did you hear the opening lines of it? <laughs> oh my! So, so if anybody, so if anybody says, "Gee, did you hear that great in joke that Shepard had on his show uh, the night the Pope was here?" Well, that was totally uh, accidental. <laughs> but uh, that, that, you know, speaking of of Yankee Stadium, one of the most unusual lines, which uh, I think bears repeating, is the line that the commentator made. Uh, when the broadcast was coming from Yankee Stadium and he said the Pope now turns towards home plate. He uh, raises his hands in benediction and I thought, well, boy, only in America would such a line be heard. The Pope turns towards home plate and waves at the crowds and uh, the benediction is given. And I thought, uh, (laughs) I thought this is a purely American image somehow and poetically so. But uh, while on the subject of uh, of commercials, let's get them out of the way so that we can get them all in one clump here, and then we can continue until lesser. I've I've got some other things that I would like to talk about in respect to this visit. So hang around. You've got anything else in there, Skip? Oh, these are live. Here's one. What's this one here? It says, did you know that one person out of ten suffers from a loss of hearing? What's this commercial? If you have a a hearing loss or know anyone who does, well, I wonder if you have. I would just like to put forth here. Uh, Anyway, it says, uh, Otarian, a leader in the hearing aid field, has helped people since the 30s. And they are offering free a helpful book with ten listening exercises written by the international known speech and hearing therapist, Thomas Broderick. And if you'd like to get this ten easy-to-learn listening exercises, write hearing on a card and mail it to... uh, Let's see, who can you mail it to? Mail it to... uh, Let's see, hearing. Mail it to... uh, Uh, Barry Farber, in care of WOR, New York 18. Okay, hearing, all right? And uh, let's see. Well, I don't know. I guess if you have a hearing problem, you wouldn't be hearing me anyway, so it doesn't make any difference who you write down. Uh, While we're on the subject of commercials, we'll get a few of these others out of the way. Here's one on a special event, it says. On Wednesday, the internationally acclaimed motion picture, The Hill, starring Sean Connery, will have its American premiere at the Sutton Theater. And there's about 25 quotes from magazines all over the world about what a great movie it is. I'm not uh, familiar with it. I've heard of it. I I will not personally recommend it because I don't know. I haven't seen it. But nevertheless, The Hill opens Wednesday. Uh, Let's see. At the uh, Sutton Theater, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Seven Arts presents The Hill starring Sean Connery. And that's Wednesday at the Sutton. And uh, speaking of uh, commercials, we have a brand new one tonight, and this is one that I uh, personally am going to recommend, and I mean in spades. Uh, if you've never heard of KLH equipment, uh, I, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> I can only tell you this, that KLH makes probably some of the most advanced and certainly some of the most inexpensive high-quality high-fidelity equipment turned out anywhere in the world. And uh, I saw a little ad that uh, it showed Sammy Davis Jr., and he said that he thought that KLH was an airline. And uh, <laughs> I can tell you this, that if you if you are interested in truly superb hi-fi, uh, a, the modular system, now this system really is uh, in many ways far more practical for most people than the component system where you... Uh, bring together various components and hope you come up with a good system. But KLH makes one of the most advanced multiplex FM tuners on the market today. They make a superb turntable. But more than that, their amplifiers and their speaker systems, I think, are second to none in their price range. And uh, I would suggest that you find out before, if you're you're planning any Hi-Fi before Christmas, uh, look up the KLH line. And I would like to recommend the Electronic Workshop. They handle the entire KLH system. You can see them there. Nobody pressures you there. These are unconditionally, unconditionally guaranteed for two years. And uh, this, is, this, is, this is the real stuff. I, I, I myself have had a KLH Model 8 now for over five years. It's, a, it's an FM tuner and speaker system, and it has not once given me a, a second's trouble. Beautiful equipment. And uh, this, by the way, the electronic workshop is at 26 West 8th Street in in the village. They have it all there on display. And let's see, their number is Gramercy 30140. Yeah, Gramercy 30140. And they're open from 11 o'clock in the morning through the evening. That's KLH. Now, one other commercial I'm going to do right now for this moment. And that has to do with Rover. And this is something else I will recommend personally is the rover motor car uh... i came close to buying a rover you know i used to be an automobile dealer i did buy one but i mean years ago i'll tell you that's another story but uh... i used to be an automobile dealer and uh... i i handled foreign automobiles in cincinnati and when you're when you own an automobile uh... fact or rather a a factory guaranteed franchise that kind of thing You have also a big foreign car garage. You begin to know something about automobiles from a very, very different standpoint. You know which ones come in to be repaired. You know what kind of work is done on them. And I would like to report to you, if you don't know anything about the Rover, that the Rover, in world esteem that is among automobile enthusiasts, ranks right up there with the Rolls-Royce and the Bentley. And I'm not exaggerating. This is true. And the new Rover 2000 is considered by many people the finest automobile ever built in its price range, which is around $4,000. A superb machine. Now, this is not a sports car. It performs like a sports car. It's built like a sports car. It's beautiful bucket seats and one thing and another. But it is a fine, high-quality, luxury disc braked uh, sedan. It has disc brakes all the way around. Great, great construction, and if you'd like to see the rover, and you live in Huntington, New York, at Coldstream Enterprise at 800 West Jericho Turnpike, and when I get my rover, which I ordered about a week or so ago, I'm going to see if I can have it put on display somewhere here in town where you can go and see it. And by the way, I'm paying for it. I am getting no knockdown. That's a great machine. All right, now we've uh, we've cleared up the commercials, and let's let's get back to let's get back to the strange, uh, interesting, and exotic event that happened here in New York City. I think one of the first things that... Uh, I, have to, I have to report, of course, that, that uh, on several occasions I have gone to Rome. I have been in Rome on rainy days. I've been in Rome on cold days. And you know there's a, there's a peculiar, uh, and, and it's an unmistakable, empathy between Americans and Italians. Uh, I have traveled all over the world, and I've been in England, and it's strange because we are basically offshoots of England, that whole world, and yet I think most Americans feel more genuine empathy <laughs> towards Italians in Italy than they feel towards Englishmen in England. Uh, and I and I certainly feel this is true of the French. Uh, the, the empathy between the Americans and the French is, is nothing as compared to what goes on between Americans and Italians. Now, I don't know how quite to explain this. The Italians, on the other hand, too, uh, feel the same thing. Uh, there's a certain kind of uh, uh, give and take. Now, maybe uh, maybe it has something to do with the character of the American. The American is basically a babbitt. Uh, <laughs> in many ways, the American is a babbitt. Uh, he, he is a babbitt, uh, and, and Sinclair Lewis, of course, uh, Pinpointed a lot in the American character more than his, uh, his concentration on the dollar when he described Babbitt. Babbitt was a guy who was outgoing. He, he, uh, he was, uh, he, it just never occurred to him <laughs> that, that, uh, that there were uh, uh, subtler forces in the world than just having uh, kind of fun going down to the Zenith Rotary Club and uh, making things work. Well, I, I would suspect that the Italians are the Babbitts of Europe. This is a personal opinion, in that the the Italians, uh, when you see an Italian family on a picnic in Holland, for example, this is a very different kind of a sight than if you see, uh, say, a French family on a picnic in Holland. First of all, they holler more. Uh, (laughs) There's there's more action, more excitement. And the times that I was in Italy, I, I always felt far more at home, personally, than I ever felt, say, in London. Uh, and, and even if I don't know the language, nothing to do with the language, uh, there's just something in the air. And so I remember one cold, rainy afternoon. Uh, I was in, well, it was actually a rainy Sunday morning. I was i was in Rome. And uh, usually, as with most Americans, when you're in a foreign country on a weekend and you don't have any immediate friends around, there's a great feeling of unrest, a kind of sense of, uh, of uh, loneliness that far transcends any loneliness you feel at home, even when you're alone in a strange city in America. And so I went out real early in the morning, and uh, I took a streetcar down into the center of Rome, and I'm walking around in the rain, and uh, without any uh, pre-ideas, I, I suddenly thought, well, why don't I, why don't I go down, go to the Vatican today? Uh, I'm not Catholic. I have no particular religious uh, uh, connotations one way or the other in my family or in my general makeup, and so I could see, though, I could see people getting off the streetcars all around, uh, black-clad families and peasants and one thing and another, and they were all drifting towards, first of all, Saint Peter's Square. Well, I was on Saint Peter's Square at a at a, at a rainy, cold Sunday morning with thousands of people milling around and curiously enough that I tell you that was the day that that I had no idea this was going to happen. I was just in the crowd walking up and down the steps and I went in and and of course the art in in uh, St. Peter's and that whole area there is just you it's incomprehensible to a person whose idea of seeing a great painting is to go to the museum up here and and stand in line and maybe you get in to see it but the art there is just incredible. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I'm, I'm going through St. Peter's and that, that, uh, that, uh, that fantastic uh, example of, uh, of uh, architecture, of, of another past period of man, when suddenly a crowd mills past me. And I could see it was just a small crowd, just a little group of people. And uh, <laughs> leading the crowd was Senator Nixon, or Vice President Nixon at that time, and it 's Nixon you see and people are around him, and Nixon is making a tour, and he's surrounded by a large group of Italians who are following him, taking pictures and shouting in Italian and uh, he, he was not with anybody official actually that 's what made it so strange and He just walked right on past me, and I felt like saying, uh, Hi, Dick, you know, gee, whiz wow, it's good to see you. another American here, Wowie, and he went right on past and into this into this Fantastic vaulted uh, this great dome of St. Peter's. Well, a few hours later, I was uh, I was in the Vatican, and it was at that time in in St. Of course, on St. Peter's Square, uh, the only time other than today that I, I had the opportunity to see a pope. Uh, it was at that time Pope John uh, made an appearance there, and he has a strange. As probably all of you have read much about Pope John, but Uh, I had heard about him, but he had a a strange aura of a kind of magnetism about him. Uh, I uh, I guess you can say that Pope John had what they call star quality. I hate to use such a phrase, but uh, I'd always wondered about this. I'd heard a lot uh, of of things said about him. But he came out on the balcony, and and, uh, I was in this mob down there, and uh, thousands and thousands of people had come, of course, as, as they always do every Sunday anyway. Uh, to St. Peter's, uh, to that to that fantastic square there, and uh, he made his appearance, and everyone everyone cheered, and and uh, there was a certain kind of uh, immediate empathy. He has a peculiar kind of warmth that just uh, came out, and he smiled, and and that was it. Well, today I was curious uh, personally because it was only just a brief instant, uh, second uh, picture of this Pope, but I did come away with a rather vivid. A feeling of, of his of his uh, his quality, and uh, what he did to a crowd or the people who were there. At least the day I was there, and I was curious what kind of a feeling I would get from from this particular pope, this man. And uh, when he went past, uh, he he uh, he seemed at just at that brief instant to have a far more. Uh, I guess he was what we would call a quiet man. Uh, you know, the kind of man that you always see in your life, uh, there's always somebody who is very quiet, a very efficient, quiet person. Uh, the one who always is in charge, vaguely, and uh, to whom people always give uh, responsibilities. And he's very, very quiet and very solid, extremely solid, but very quiet, uneffusive. Uh, and that's that's the feeling I had, just quiet, just going past And again, watching him on television, I had the same feeling, too. But uh, that that strange afternoon uh, on 2nd on Avenue, I will remember for some time, because it was as though suddenly for some reason, and I don't think it had anything to do really with basic religious values one way or the other, for some reason or other there was a different atmosphere and attitude in New York City. Uh, uh, maybe a kind of excitement. Uh, You know, Americans are remote, by and large, from the great world that they read about in newspapers. Europeans are used to this sort of thing. Uh, Europeans are used to visiting great heads of state. Uh, Pomp and circumstance and panoply are things which the average European takes in his stride because he knows it. He's been there. This is what his world is made of. Americans just aren't used to this. Uh, our our uh, idea of pomp, of course, is to go to a, a perhaps a, uh, a political meeting. We go and we we see uh, we can see John Lindsay in, in the flesh up there, and of course, Lindsay's doing everything he can to be one of the people and to be be just like you. And so he usually uh, any politician usually he makes care not to dress too well. He doesn't wear a two hundred seventy five dollars suit. He makes sure that he does. He does not arrive in a uh, in a Rolls Royce silver cloud. He just doesn't do this. He does not arrive with butlers and footmen. And uh, that's not the American way. And yet we have a strange, uh, maybe it's a very human hunger for pomp and circumstance, for panoply. And whenever we run into it, whenever we see it, we are immediately put into a great uh, a great tizzy of awe. <laughs> I mean, they, people are fascinated. And so when the Pope went by dressed in his robes, uh, too bad, uh, uh, I did we broadcast it in color? Well, if you had a color television set, you probably saw some of it, but uh, when the Pope went by in his robes on Second Avenue, you knew something important was there. I mean, the, the, the color and the the, the, uh, the general combination of of, uh, of robes and richness and stance and attitude, that there was no question about it. Americans were suddenly aware, at least the people along that route, that there was a big world out there, and that there were some gigantic forces that <laughs> they knew very little about, and and that uh, they were suddenly made aware of the fact that they were part of of that big world. You know, we've been traditionally isolationist. And uh, we, we kind of feel, and most Americans sort of feel, that, that the rest of the world better do what America wants, because uh, America knows best. Uh, we also feel, basically, that, uh, that, that, that the world consists of America, with all the rest of that stuff hooked on. And generally, it's a drag that they are, you know. That's quite true. You, you go to these other countries, you find that, that the attitude of many Americans is that, uh, that these other countries were put there for Americans to travel to and to buy, scene, uh, buy, uh, to buy uh, souvenirs from. That's why they've got this thing called Bangkok out there. And uh, so watching the Pope go by, I'm sure many Americans in that, that, that group that were standing in, around me whose only knowledge of the world comes from watching television, and that's sort of a big show. Uh, Television is like everything is on 16-millimeter film, and Walter Cronkite is sort of there to tell you about the world, and that's what the world really is. Uh, TV shows, one thing and another. I wonder how much our mass communications have confused our basic sense of reality rather than have sharpened it. I just wonder about this. I wonder how many people confuse the Pope, let's say, with uh, a movie star. Uh, <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a common confusion because it's easy enough uh, when you live in a world of uh, a practically total, 100% mass communication, radio, television, records, uh, movies, plays, night after night, day after day, you begin to confuse the world with a kind of plot, a kind of a... Uh, a kind of a story written by somebody. Uh, something that uh, isn't really real, but is part of that great world that Walter Cronkite comes on every night about, or David and Chester talk about occasionally. Well, all of a sudden, uh, they're on the, uh, on the, on the, on uh, the, <laughs> what is it, Chet? His name is Chester, I'm afraid. <laughs> I refuse to g- call him Chet Huntley. I don't know him that well. To me, he's Chester. And uh, so it's David and Chester every night talking about the world, and suddenly there it is, going down Second Avenue, right there in front of you, and in all full color, and I mean spectacular color, and there, yes, and I mean spectacular color, and and there is a sudden feeling that none of these clothes came from Bonds or from Corvettes, that uh, this was something else again and really and and you could just feel the hush go over the crowd not because of a basic religious feeling but a sudden uh, a sudden realization perhaps an unreal one but nevertheless very definitely there that uh, wow th- there is a pope uh, they've been hearing about this there is a real pope uh, and there he goes and he's just waving. He's waving at the crowd. And everybody cheered. And he went right on down. And you could see the car glinting. And, and the people all craned and looked out and watched the cars that disappeared and made the turn towards the United Nations. And uh, suddenly the United Nations became something more than just a place where uh, you take people on a Sunday afternoon, visitors you don't know what to do with, and show them the General Assembly Hall. It uh, <laughs> It was something a little bigger than that. Now, uh, the, the attitude of the police, of course, were fascinating. They, you know, the police, uh, I, I was watching one old policeman. He was obviously a man not more than a year or two away from retirement. He was really an elderly patrolman. And uh, he's uh, all jowled and kind of paunchy, and he had his uh, worn old blue uniform on, and he had his badge all shined up, and he's standing down there uh, talking to a lot of little old ladies who had come out of a meat market there. And uh, they all poured out to watch the Pope, and and uh, he's there, and he's telling them uh, of other great events in history of which he was part of, and uh, he was telling him, uh, he was telling this old lady, he was asking her questions if she remembered the time, and he said, do you remember the time that? The President Roosevelt came down 2nd Avenue, and the old lady had a strong accent. She said, yes, I remember that. I was was over there. And he says, well, I was over here. (laughs) And uh, they were comparing great moments in history that they had seen in front of this meat market on 2nd Avenue. Well, uh, (laughs) I I was trying to hear as much as I could. One of the greatest uh, nutty kind of uh, surrealistic images that I'll always carry Away from this is one is one uh a gnarled old campaigner uh standing to my right a, a gnarled lady who had hat pins sticking out out of her hair and she was wearing a pair of worn tennis shoes and she had that that angry look of the lady who writes long letters to the times and uh she had this transistor radio and up to her ear you could hear the radio playing, and she's got that fervent look uh the radio is playing at Twice the volume it should have been, and who is coming out of it but this voice? Is living should be fun. This is Doctor Carlton Fredericks, and what they're doing to your bread? Well, Doctor Doctor Fredericks was droning on angrily, and she was listening avidly, and that you could I could not tell whether her fervent adoration was directed at the Pope or Doctor Fredericks, possibly both, (laughs) in equal measure. So <laughs> it, was, it was that kind of a day here in, in New York City. And uh, for those of you who, uh, who missed this day and did not get a chance to come in, I can only commiserate with you, and not necessarily uh, because you didn't get a chance to see the Pope. You may not uh, have any of these religious beliefs, as I don't particularly, but it was a fantastic, fascinating event. And uh, here we go now. Is, uh, in just a few seconds, are they going now? To Lester Smith, Uh, tell me when and or if. Uh, I see we're all kinds of guys running around. One minute. In just a moment now, we will join Lester Smith. He's out at the airport, right, Ed? Is that where he is? One minute? All right. uh, in, In just a moment now, we will continue to...